Today is January 20th, 2021. Biden's inauguration is today. Trump looks to hand out a lot of pardons. And a new poll shows that voters see a not-so-rosy next four years. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode for you here today, bright and early on this Wednesday morning, hosted by yours truly, Austin Taylor. I'm so glad that y'all are here with me as we go along on this journey to try and find the middle ground wherever necessary. We're looking at stuff on the left, stuff on the right. We're trying to find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the center. So with all of that, let's go ahead and hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, Biden's inauguration. Boom, boom, boom. The day that nobody thought would come. Biden, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. is slated to become the 46th president of the United States today at his inauguration. There is no doubt that this will be the weirdest and most different inauguration that has ever been held in the history of the United States. Between the COVID pandemic that is absolutely just ravaging across the country. I think we uh, hit 400,000 deaths this week. Um, and all the crazy people, of course, we can't forget about that, that stormed the Capitol two weeks ago. Um, everything is on high alert and a whole bunch of crazy is going on. So let's go ahead and hop in real quick. This is Good Morning America talking about it uh, about the next day or so ago. In Georgia, in the aftermath of the Capitol siege, authorities are fortifying our nation's capital for the inauguration and investigating a wave of threats. Our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, joins us from Washington with more. Good morning, Pierre. Michael, good morning. I can't recall any inauguration with this much tension as we head down the stretch. We have new information overnight that some of the National Guard protecting the Capitol will be armed. And there's new incredibly disturbing intelligence. There's one estimate of more than 10,000 angry Trump supporters coming to the nation's Capitol, many of them armed. One scenario briefed to Congress involved heavily armed radicals assaulting the Capitol and potentially other locations like the White House. One reason authorities are worried is that they have identified individuals talking about assassinating politicians, including a Chicago area man who allegedly had been discussing killing leaders in Washington in order to block Biden's inauguration. All right. So a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on. So, uh, the festivities, okay? Everything should kick off right around 11.30 in the morning. Harris and Biden will take the oath of office somewhere around 12 noon. Harris will take hers from Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Biden will take his from Chief Justice uh, John Roberts, or not Chief Justice, but Justice John Roberts. Um, then, you know, we'll have the inauguration address. After that, Biden and Harris will accompany the other living presidents, minus Trump, to lay a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier down in Arlington Cemetery. So there's supposed to be around a thousand people there. Uh, pretty much all of them will be Congress people and their guests. Like I said before, there will be no Trump. And I can't decide if that's a good thing or not. Like, on one hand, it seems terrible that Donald Trump would refuse to go to the inauguration because, one, that's lending further credence to the idea that he actually didn't lose the election, that Biden stole the election from him, and he's not actually confirming Biden as the legitimate president, right? But on the other hand, there's also this idea of kind of like, if Trump was there, it would probably instigate a lot of other further problems, which I feel like we would just really rather not have, right? Like, we want this inauguration to go off as smoothly as it possibly can. And with Trump there, 
and any kind of hubbub going on as a result of Trump being there, it just really, honestly, it just, I feel like it's probably better if he's not. So, uh, the big highlight of the day, of course, will be the inauguration address or the speech, inauguration speech delivered by Biden. So this is supposed to be, according to Biden aides, and they've kept this speech and everything very, very, very close to his chest, okay? So we don't really have a ton of clues around what exactly will be there. We've only had hints and stuff from what some of his aides and kind of speech writers in the past have said. So um, it's supposed to be a very, very pointed and stark contrast from the inauguration speech that was delivered by Trump in 2017. And obviously, this is very, very purposeful. So... Um, it's expected that his speech will mainly uh, be focused around creating unity and bringing much of the country back together. Um, I think that he will more than likely hit on a whole lot of things, especially surrounding ending the pandemic, the stimulus package that he wants to pass as soon as he gets into office, and a main focus on healing, according to the Biden uh, Biden team. So, he actually came out with, within the past week, his 10-day uh, executive action, action plan. So his idea is basically to get into office and on day one start writing executive actions, okay? The main focus of these will be reversing the travel bans that were set by Trump, rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, face mask mandate on federal property, halting evictions completely, uh, obviously for a, a point of time, ending the the pause or extending the pause on student loan payments and trying his best to get the 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days of office. So if we look back to 2017, when Trump took office, he focused in a lot of ways on the very, very dark place that he said that the country was in, right? His whole slogan and you know, leading up to 2016, which he then transferred over into 2020, was make America great again. So the idea behind it was basically we had this gigantic sleuth primarily in the middle of the country of people that have been disenfranchised, that have been negatively impacted by this gigantic swamp of Washington, D.C. politics. And I, Donald Trump, am coming in to change all of that. Our country has been in a put into a terrible place because of my predecessor, Barack Obama. And now I, Donald Trump, will be coming in and I'll be working very hard, diligently, in order to be able to change all of that and turn a lot of that around. Trump's focus in his inauguration speech was basically, America is not good anymore and we need to bring it back to it being great as it was before. So um, a lot of it is focusing on getting America back to its roots. Um, a much of the argument was based upon, like I said, the people that kind of felt left behind, these people that felt disenfranchised, especially white men. Those were the you know, primarily the people in his voting demographic that came out to vote in very, very large numbers for Donald Trump. And it, his message had a very populist feel to it, right? It was, it was basically this idea that like, you know, we we can't allow ourselves to be held down by uh, all of these all of this negativity that America is feeling and uh, is perpetuating the culture in America anymore. We need to have this nationalism about us. We need to be proud to be Americans again. We need to reignite this flame underneath us that kind of makes us proud to be who we are. And we will be proud to be who we are if we get back to where America was especially pre the Obama days. 
So I think that Trump's message in his appeal was to the everyday American and kind of painting his adversaries in a very, very poor light. It looks like Biden is going to do the exact opposite. So Biden's goal is basically going to be, we right now are incredibly divided. And yes, a lot of that has to do with the current political climate right now, a lot, and which we will get into a ton here in a bit. But um, a lot of that has to do with, you know, the the heightened rhetoric that is happening, the difficulty that we've seen in our nation over the past year, especially within the COVID pandemic. But now is our time to unify. Now is our time to reach across the aisle, time to forgive, time to forget, time to move forward as one country and do our best to try and pave the way that we want to be going, you know, from here on out. And I think there are a lot of people that that message really, really appeals to, okay? Even if they don't agree with Joe Biden's politics, right? For me personally, there are a lot of Joe Biden's politics that I really don't agree with at all, especially Kamala Harris's politics, okay? But I am very, 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 very interested in reaching across the aisle and trying to have some sort of unity, right? I mean, that is the whole premise of what I'm doing here on this podcast, right? And we want to be able to find some sort of middle ground. It is okay to disagree with the people on the other side of the aisle, but it is not okay to demonize them, to make them look like they're horrible people, and to make statements that are incredibly inflammatory in order to be able to undercut their credentials within, you know, the broader political market space, right? That's not what we need anymore, and hopefully... That is what Joe Biden's message will be, okay? And it looks like that's what Biden's been doing, especially over the past couple of weeks. He has stayed out of the fray of all the craziness that happened on the Capitol. He stayed out of the fray of Donald Trump just doing and saying all these ridiculous things over the past, like, two months since he won, since Donald Trump lost the election and Biden won it. And he's pretty much been on the exact same message the entire time. We need to come together. We need to unify. There has to be some sort of middle ground. And honestly, if there really is anybody that can do it, it's Joe Biden, right? I don't really have a lot of faith that Kamala Harris wants to reach across the aisle, right? But Joe Biden has been a moderate Democrat for years and years and years, okay? He knows politics. That's pretty much the only thing that he's done for the entirety of his working career. If there's anybody that hopefully will be able to bridge some sort of gap, it could be Joe Biden. So um, I'm hoping that that message will be received well. I don't know that it will. There obviously are a lot of people that are going to hear that and they're going to be like, I don't trust anything that Joe Biden says. He's the enemy, right? But I'm also hoping that there will be a greater portion of people that look at Joe Biden's speech if it is a message of unity and say, you know what? I don't agree with everything that you say. And I may not have voted for you, but I really want an end to this chaos, right? I really, really want an end to all of this political divisiveness, to all of this, you know, just lack of decorum in politics. I want to be able to see some sort of coming together and meeting in the middle. So it will be a very uphill battle for Biden if he does it. Um, I definitely would say if y'all have the opportunity to around lunchtime tomorrow, watch the inauguration, you know, try and try and figure out what Joe Biden's message is going to be. P try and play a part in it as much as you can. It will be very interesting to see how all of it goes down. There have been reports that there will be a lot of counter protests and stuff like that. 
I think that they are planning they are planning on having around 25,000 National Guard troops at this inauguration. Absolutely mind-blowing. So, it could end up falling into disarray very very quickly if there is a gigantic MAGA protest, you know, right down the street from it that is threatening to break down barriers and stuff. But hopefully that does not happen. So with all of that, that is the end of our first story. Let's hop on into our second story of the day. Story number two. All right. So for our second story of the day, Trump decides to pardon some people. So Trump is going back and forth on whether to pardon close to 100 people on his last day in office yesterday. That is a whole lot of people to be pardoning over the course of a day or two. Um, And before you think that now there will be all of these crazy people just running around in the streets, running rampant, just wreaking havoc on everything that they come in touch with because these are, you know, federal people that are in federal prison, just the worst of the worst. Don't be so worried, okay? I mean, these are primarily all just old white people that just so happen to be in very close contact with Trump and also have done things that are federal crimes. So it just goes to show, really, that if you ever want to get out of a crime, just be really good friends with the president and you're pretty much just good to go. So there was actually some word on the street that he would be looking to preemptively pardon himself and family members as well if he needed to do it. I have literally no idea how this would work. Honestly, I think the fact that presidents can pardon people from federal prison is just ridiculous to say the least. But there were a bunch of reports basically kind of floating around that Donald Trump was looking into and having his team look into pardoning himself or members of his family like Ivanka and Jared and whatnot, Don Jr., from any investigations or federal investigations or crimes that they basically would be under um, right before he left office or maybe right after he left office. I don't know that he would actually be able to do it. Obviously, he didn't do that um, because that would be frowned upon by pretty much everybody. Um and there's, I think there's a lot of legal gray area around whether or not a president could actually pardon himself because I don't think it's ever been done. So um, anyways, he was looking to pardon a lot of people. Um, but I think that he, his team was a little bit more worried about it because they were kind of like, listen, dude, the last thing that you need to do is get in here start pardoning a bunch of people and make the Republicans furious because you have to convince them not to vote to impeach you over this next coming week or so. Um, he's bouncing around pardoning, pardoning an old friend, Elliot Broidy, uh, who used to be a fundraiser for Trump. He, you know, basically went and did a whole bunch of raising money for Trump uh, for a while. He was convicted in October for trying to lobby Trump in some sleazy deal with the Malaysian governor government. So he was basically trying to like get Trump and some Malaysian official together on a golf course in order to be able to have them talk back and forth. And the guy ended up getting a $6 million kickback to try and get that, that, you know, whole golf game hooked up and whatnot pretty sleazy guy. Trump is talking about, was talking about pardoning him. He saw, he tossed around a whole bunch, whether or not to pardon Steve Bannon, it doesn't look like he actually did that, but Steve Bannon, who was the header over at Breitbart, which is like an incredibly far right-leaning news outlet, um, got busted for scalping a whole bunch of money off the top of a crowdfunding scheme that he made in order to build the wall on our southern border. That is not a joke. <laughs> Steve Bannon got arrested for stealing money from people that he was raising money to build a wall <laughs> border with Mexico. <laughs> so there were also a ton of calls for him to pardon rapper Lil Wayne, um, who got busted and 
December for a federal gun charge. I think it's like his third one or something like that. So um, all of this is honestly just kind of ridiculous. Like all presidents at the very, very end of their tenure go through and just start pardoning a whole bunch of people that people like that all the people around them are lobbying them to pardon. So like Bill Clinton famously pardoned a longtime Democratic donor um, who had some really close ties to the Clinton family. Super, super corrupt, right? Like a person got busted for some type of like fraudulent, like a campaign raising funds or basically got in trouble, got thrown in federal prison. Bill Clinton went in there and bailed this person out because that person had raised a bunch of money for the Clinton family, even though they were super guilty and already in prison. Classic. Um, Obama actually pardoned uh, close to twice the amount of people that Trump has, although he had two terms, so that kind of made sense. At this point, I think before Monday, Trump had pardoned right around 70 people. Um, and it's I, I don't know what the final numbers are here on Wednesday, but it's probably looking like it's going to be around maybe like 120 to maybe 150 people that Trump actually pardons at the end of his, you know, one term. Um, but interesting thing, interestingly enough, a lot of people that are close to Trump have said that Trump has been extremely distracted from the pardons because he's trying to put together his legal team to defend him in his impeachment. So, uh, he's tossing around a couple of different people. A lot of people are saying that, uh, the lawyers that he had during his first impeachment, he's deciding not to go with them. Um, some people are saying that he uh, is in talks with Rudy Giuliani to defend him again, which like I'm serious when I say that if I see Rudy Giuliani in a video on the on the Senate floor here in the next two weeks, sweating profusely and running hair dye down his face again, trying to defend Trump in front of the Senate, it is going to be my made me smile for the next month. That is going to be hilarious. Okay. So uh, basically Trump is trying to f walk this fine line of, you know, I'm trying, I do my pardons like every other president does, but I also don't want to, you know, really peeve off a lot of the people that I really need to be on my side here over the next week or so. So that way, eventually in 2024, if I want to run again, I actually will be able to run again. So it's not a huge story of the day, but I thought it was kind of interesting because of all the people that are lobbying Donald Trump to try and get people, uh, different people pardoned. People are trying to get him to pardon uh, Julian Assange, who was the head of uh, WikiLeaks and whatnot. I don't know if that's going to happen either, but uh, Donald Trump, at the end of the day, you know, that was his last day as president. So after that, he doesn't get any more pardons. He's got to go ahead and pardon the people that he wants to pardon in order to be able to get that kind of done out the door. So also, fun fact before we move on to our last story. Uh, FDR had the most pardons, okay, out of any president. Granted, he was in there for like three and a half terms, but he had 2,819 pardons. Almost 3,000 pardons, okay? For reference, Barack Obama had 212, okay? And Bush, George W. Bush, had 74. FDR was basically letting everybody go. So, <laughs> classic FDR, am I right? So, with all that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's hop on into our third story, our last story. Story number three. So for our third story of the day, and this is probably much more of a bigger story that we'll spend a little bit more time on, um, a new poll coming out by NBC shows incredibly pessimistic Americans. So uh, this was done of voters uh, that voted in 2020, uh, and it shows a lot of pessimism in the world of politics. And at this point, it's not super surprising, but a lot of the stuff 
can be a little bit startling. Okay, it, it is pretty interesting what some of the some of the different kind of finer points in the data actually show. So let's hop in and take a quick look um, at what a lot of these uh, a lot of these different stats showed from the from the poll. This just in with just one day left until President-elect Joe Biden takes office. A new NBC News poll is shedding some light on the many challenges ahead. Biden faces an increasingly polarized, pessimistic and pained nation. This is according to these new numbers. 73% of voters think the country will remain divided and more than 70% believe the country is on the wrong track. Overall, Biden's approval rating stands at about 60%. That's higher than Trump's transition approval rating, but lower than Obama's. Voters giving Biden positive marks for his handling of the transition rocked by an outgoing president who has refused to concede defeat. All right. So um, it looks like a lot of people are looking at these next four years and they don't think that they're really going to be any much better than the previous four. The majority of respondents said they felt like the country was heading in the wrong direction. That includes the Democrat responses as well. And there seems to be the sentiment that we are now in a place that people don't know how we're going to get out of. Yes, we've got somebody in this, not Donald Trump. But no, we are not in a good place, okay? Rhetoric is heightened. Tensions are heightened. People are legitimately worried that there's going to be a civil war. There were multiple responses within the poll uh, that had people actually talking about worries of there being a civil war. And it seems, it seems like things like the Capitol riots are sparking all these people to kind of look at the world around them and be like, you know what? I'm a, I'm a little bit worried that I, there's going to be there's going to be a spark that basically just sets the entire forest on fire, right? Like everything is primed and ready for all of this to just burn down. And we're just waiting on one more thing to happen and everything's just going to go up in smoke. So the most interesting thing to me around all of this was actually a bit of data that was collected. It was kind of a smaller portion of it uh, in this poll. And it was a question around whether or not Republican respondents wanted to see compromise or whether they wanted the Republicans in government to stick to their positions, basically to adhere to their positions. 48% of the Republicans that responded said that they wanted to Republicans to adhere to their positions, while only 40% wanted there to be some type of compromise. This is actually a, a good bit off. And to be honest with you, that's actually kind of lower than what I would expect. But um, this is kind of a stark contrast to when Trump started office in 2017. Um, 59% of Democrats wanted some sort of compromise there, and only 33% wanted adherence to their positions uh, for the Democrats that were currently elected into office. So what to me what that says to me and why that is interesting to me is that it is clear that both sides are looking at what's happening right now and they are both very very uncomfortable with what is going on however they don't want to be the side that compromises because they feel like if they compromise the same respect will not be paid by the other side of the aisle there's a complete abandonment of trust for either side you can only trust your party. You can only trust your group. You can only trust your people, right? The other side of the aisle, you can't trust them. You can't trust anything that they've said. And this is something that's been culminating for years and, and years, right? Over the past 12 to 15 years, like, yes, Donald Trump had a huge part to play in it. 
Of course he did, right? But also the media had a ton, a huge part to play in it. And it also goes back to the Obama days as well. McConnell worked very, very hard during Obama's presidency to blackball pretty much everything that Barack Obama did. Didn't matter if it was healthcare, didn't matter if it was foreign policy, didn't matter if it was economic policy. Mitch McConnell basically was like, Barack Obama is the bad guy. He's the head of Hydra, you know, with all these Democrats. We need to do our best to stop Obama's, you know, all of Obama's policies, no matter what they are, right? I mean, Barack Obama could have come out and said, you know, literally drafted, pulled something off of Mitch McConnell's desk, handed it, walked it into Congress and been like, hey, this is actually my idea. I want you to do it. And Mitch McConnell would have blackballed it, right? Absolutely everything that Obama did. And instead of working things out, many Democrats then started turning to using much more dirty politics and slamming things through along completely partisan lines. That's why you're hearing all this talk about getting rid of the filibusters, getting rid of, um, you know, you know, basically try getting rid of things that would roadblock uh, that Republicans would be able to use to roadblock the Democrats from being able to do what they want. Um, once Trump got into office, though, he amped those all of those temperatures up to ten. Right, all of them just went through the roof, ridiculing the Democrats every chance that he got, and driving a further wedge in between both parties. We've seen it all play out over the past four years. So the question is, really, are we more divided than ever? When we're, seeing, when we're watching the media, when we're watching everything that's happening, when we're listening to people talk, when we're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and we're seeing craziness that's happening, are we more divided than ever? And that's a question that we really try to tackle and talk about a lot on this podcast because we legitimately are trying to find the middle ground where we can. So my simple answer for that is no, we are not more divided than ever, ever. I can, you know, quote different times in history like the revolution where a time period where people were legitimately worried that one side was going to side with Britain right who we just revolted from and gained our independence from or the literal civil war that happened within our country as well where brothers and fathers were going out and killing brothers and fathers that lived one state away from them but I would go as far to say that the vast majority of this can be remedied by good and appropriate conversation as much as possible. I really do believe that wholeheartedly. And I also think that it's going to take leadership within our country standing up and saying, you know what, I'm willing to reach across the aisle. I'm willing to see where I you know, may ne- maybe need to grow. I'm willing to see the areas where we can have some compromise. And if that's what Joe Biden is pushing and that's what actually plays out, I think that our country will desperately need it. But this is also why I, through this podcast, want to commit to try and make that happen as much as I possibly can. So without further ado, adieu, right? I'm trying to get French over here. I'm, I want to kind of announce that I'm actually going to start having guests on the podcast. Woo! So uh, I'm not going to go ahead and roll out who the first guest will be yet because I'm still nailing down all of the details and whatnot. But the conversations won't completely be about politics. They'll be about a wide variety of different things. I think the idea behind it is for it to not be scripted, be able to have people on from all different walks of life, totally different sides of the aisle to kind of talk about their ideas talk about things that kind of make them tick and make them run and why they think the way that they do and just have open, good, honest conversation. And I hope that it's something that all of you list, all of my listeners will enjoy. And, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully it brings together a little bit more unity and all the craziness. So if you want an opportunity to come onto the show, 
please do not hesitate to let me know. Or if you know somebody that you think would be a great guest to be able to have on the show, absolutely shoot me a message, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or a text message or Facebook, whatever it may be. Find a way to get in contact with me and I would love to be able to talk through all of that with you. So with all of that, that is the end of our show today. Let's go ahead and hop on into our last segment of the day, actually a new segment. And this segment is going to be called, Bro, What? So for our last segment of the day, I decided to make this new segment in replace of Made Me Smile on occasion for things that I see throughout the week that make me literally stop and say, bro, what? And today, the top winner that we have is... is a uh, basically a fake CNN correction that was floating all around in Republican circles within the past week that uh, is absolutely hilarious. So somebody went online or in Adobe, whatever they would Photoshop, and made a CNN politics correction that reads this. Correction. A previous version of this story misstated that Senator Ted Cruz was seen wearing a pin featuring a QAnon symbol. It was later discovered that this was not a QAnon pin, but a Dorito snack chip stuck to his suit. (laughs) All of these Republicans took this picture and started sending it all around the internet. I mean... You have all these big name Republicans that are like, this is the correction of the century. CNN is so stupid. I can't believe that they would get this wrong and have to backtrack on this. Well, it turns out that 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 picture was fake, right? The picture was doctored. And all of these Republicans (laughs) were not only duped by this person, but it also turns out that they all believed that Ted Cruz was such a dope that he literally would be able to walk onto the Senate floor with a Doritos snack chip clipped to the lapel of his suit. So whoever made that fake picture got so many people. Like, they were playing chess when everybody else was playing checkers. So that was my bro what moment of this week because I thought it was absolutely hilarious. So that's the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping in, for checking us out. As always, remember y'all to find me on all the different social medias. I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, Facebook. I've got a website, splitthedifference.com. Drop me a like and subscribe. Give me a five-star review. All those things go super far and they help me out a lot. And remember, guys, we're going to do our best to be level-headed. We're always going to be reasonable. And, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.